You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Feels normal again, doesn't it? After last week. Wow, wow, wow. What a Sunday night to uh, try and have to live up to again. Uh, I was sitting in the Northside News. It was unbelievable coming in last Sunday night and uh, having to uh, see people up the back scrambling to just put chairs out and to, to make way for us just to do normal church. That was just such an exciting thing for all of us to see. And, uh, and tonight I feel like we're, we're a bit back to normal. I feel a bit like, you know when you have, uh, have had guests around for dinner and you as a family, you're sort of exhausted after all, and, and now you can feel like you can all just sort of s- s- sit back in the couch and, and just, just talk. Just talk. I feel, like the, I feel like the family's back again because there's no doubt last week we, we had a stack of guests with us here at Northside to witness the baptisms. We had family, we had friends, and what just thrilled my heart was the way in which just the witness that our young people were uh, to so many of their family and friends, many of whom had not heard much about God or the church or Jesus Christ. And what was wonderful in it is because we've been in the middle of a series called Correlate, uh, how uh, God affects me and how me affects you. And that is the degree to which our vertical relationship is right will actually affect the way that our horizontal relationships are right. And so we'd, we'd hit this part in Romans where Paul starts talking about the ways in which mature Christians are there to adapt themselves to the weaker Christians. Uh, to shape the way that they do things. And, and what was so hilarious is that last week when we had all of these guests with us and people who hadn't heard much about God, I was due to preach on Romans chapter 13, which was all about when we should be civilly disobedient. And I thought, wow, wouldn't that be a great gospel message for so many guests here on a Sunday night? And so hopefully what you saw modelled last week uh, when I preached a short message, it wasn't a full one, at least not by my standards, uh, when you saw me preach last week, I, I, I really likened, I likened the church to the Big Brother house. That uh, if you weren't with us, that the church is like the Big Brother house. That uh, in the Big Brother house, you have people of all different types. You've got different ethnicities and different genders and people of different sexuality and people of different socioeconomic status. And that was the church that Paul was preaching to here. That's how, that's how the church was. That's how the church should look like. And so tonight, what I, what I want to do, actually now that we're talking on the couch, after many of the guests have gone, uh, we've got the family again for us to step back and to really expand a bit more on that. There was stuff that I wanted to share with you guys that I didn't have the chance to share with you guys. And so we're going to have a look at that. Really, the key thing we're looking at is that uh, how in the world does the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, help us get along with people who are totally different from who we are? That's the question that the world's been asking. That's the question that I believe the Bible speaks into. We're going to read from Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through to 7. Uh, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please their neighbor for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. So that 
With one heart and one mouth, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. There, there was a division, nay, a rift that emerged between humanity back in the 90s. I got caught up in it myself. In fact, I was a victim of this rift. It was a rift between the skateboarders and the rollerbladers. Yes, that's right. I was a rollerblader. You could, you could tell, couldn't you? <laughs> the division still exists, friends, and I'm glad we're hearing this message tonight from the Scriptures for my colleague here. Yes, I was a rollerblader and seeing as we're all family and we're all talking on the couches tonight and we are a church that wants to model vulnerability, I will share with you my deep dark secret that I was a rollerblader. (laughs) And not a week went by when I wasn't pulling on the knee pads and the elbow pads and the wrist guards and the stack hat that I couldn't have potentially been the victim of some form of divisive abuse. And I've lived with that ever since, and it scarred me. Uh, Now, you might laugh. You might laugh. But we we humans, we're always making divisions and distinctions, right? If it's not skateboarders and rollerbladers, uh, it's Asians and non-Asians. It's European and non-Europeans. It's male and female. It's homosexual, it's heterosexual. You see, we're always making divisions and these distinctions in life. And the context that came out of Romans chapter 14... Actually, chapters 14 to 15, uh, there shouldn't really be a break in there. The breaks in the Bible only really happened in the 1200s. There should never have been a break in there. What Paul is continuing to say to us in all of that is that there are distinctions that we naturally have as human beings. We're constantly making distinctions. And so in chapter 14, the, the principle and the case study that he was carrying on here in verse 15 was this, that there was a food fight going on, that some people... Uh, didn't want to eat ham sandwiches because that was part of their Jewish tradition. You know, ham was an unclean food and therefore they wanted to observe that tradition. And so here are a bunch of Jewish Christians lumped in with a bunch of non-Jewish and predominantly Greek Christians in the church in Rome. And the Greeks, they didn't care what they eat. They're up for eating all sorts of meat. And Greeks are crazy like that. They love it. Love a good spit roast. And so in, in that sense, that we, we have this, this, this food fight. And so, you know, on one hand, we see the general trend of humanity. We see the biblical case study. Here's the principle. That, here's the principle. The ungospelized heart, if I can use that, that, that term, is always trying to take your distinctives and elevate it above the other person. Why is that? Now, we're going to get to that a little bit later on tonight but the point here is if we're in agreement if we can see that trend in humanity that we take the things that we're good at or that we do or that we're a part of and elevate elevate that to a place that's better than everyone else and that's of course what caused that great division in the 90s between the skateboarders and the rollerbladers now if 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 we acknowledge that we as humans have these differences then then wouldn't it be fair to say that when people are new christians remember last week i said that new christians are in fact one of the biggest problems in the church because new Christians don't know that that's the seat that you normally sit in and new Christians don't know the, 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 the sort of language that you're supposed to use and new Christians don't know that you're not supposed to go to nightclubs on Friday night. You know, new, Christians, new Christians get in your face, they, they intrude into the big brother house 
And, and, and wouldn't it be fair to say that, that new Christians, when they come in, they carry those inherent human distinctions with them, right? Until God, through the work of the Holy Spirit and the teaching of his word, uh, gospelizes their heart in that way. Now, uh, the differences are a good thing. We're going to have them in the church. Differences are a great thing. Here's how I know. I, through a series of just God-ordained moments this week, I ended up speaking to this guy who's an absolute legend of Churches of Christ. I got chatting on the phone. He, he was an older guy. He had a voice I, I would just die to have. And, uh, and he was telling me all about his story. And, and I know in some ways we young folk were like, the minute that you hear an older person saying, back when I was, you sort of brace and get ready. <laughs> And I've got to admit, for a moment I thought, here we go, I'm in for another 15 or 20 minutes. But it was 15 or 20 minutes that, that irrevocably is, has, 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 has been one of those moments that shaped my ministry. You know, he's telling me about his church back in his day. He was, he was one of the ministers of Wollongong Church of Christ. Uh, he was the minister before one of the great legends of Churches of Christ, Barry McMurtry, who I've studied under and who's a great mate of Graham's. He was the minister before that minister. And I think Barry's an old guy. Uh, this, this, guy, this guy's a legend, living legend. And he starts telling me about his church and back in the day where um, th- there were days in which he, he had the top judge in the area sitting fr- in the front row of his church next to people that that judge had jailed. That he'd baptised the local community prostitute. That she'd found work and she'd found restoration. That, that his church at the time was recognised by the government as having rehabilitated more prisoners than the Justice Department themselves. Can you imagine a church like that? I mean, if I, if I, if I, said, to, if, if I said to you, look, here's a church that looks like this, can I ask you tonight, would you be interested in turning up to a place like that? It's, it's attr- the differences are attractive. The, the differences are phenomenal, and here's the reason why. You know, I've said once before that the quality of our community will be the secret to our mission. That there is something supernatural about the church of Jesus Christ. That when people, whether you're a judge or you're the jailed, are able to sit together in worship and call each other brother and sister. When the prostitute can sit next to the second highest engineer in the country down there in Wollongong. There, there has to be something that the world looks at and says, what the heck is doing this? And that's the question we've got to ask ourselves tonight. How, how do we do that? How do we do that as a church? See, there's two approaches to that, that problem of tolerance there, how we get along to these sorts of people. There's two approaches we'll, we'll quickly go through tonight. Uh, there's counterfeit tolerance and then there's Christian tolerance. You see, the first one, counterfeit tolerance... Um, that's what I called last week a moi tolerance. Uh, if, if you've ever seen The Bachelor on Channel 10, I mean, see the competition of 10 very attractive ladies all competing for the one particular guy, you see a lot of what I call moi tolerance. It's when they get into their rose ceremony and, and you know what girls are like. Um, no, I mean, I mean in the... Uh, observationally, observationally... <laughs> You know, when, when, when you get two girls together that, that feel threatened by each other and they put on their best face and they, oh, hi, sweetie. Mwah. Mwah. It's a, it's a, it's a moi tolerance. It, and that is that, that I, I see you as different. I see you as a threat. But, but the world tells me that we've got to get along in this context, right? 
It's a counterfeit tolerance. It's a moi tolerance. And, and, and the, the, the postmodern tolerance, the modern day tolerance is a veiled tolerance. And, you know, what do you mean a veiled tolerance? Uh, the modern approach says, I won't judge you. I won't say anything about who you are. I'll want you. I'll hug you. But I'm sure as heck not going to change my life for you. And I, I, learned, I learned this. I love it. I love going to weddings because I, I try and see how long, uh, and this is weddings that I'm not conducting, how long I can sit uh, beneath the radar without telling people that I'm a pastor. And so I, I got chatting to this particular guy one night at a wedding down at the opera house or whatever and you know, these people constantly talk, 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 and very smooth, very slick. Uh, kind of reminds me of myself. And, um, <laughs> and so I'm t- talking, talking to this guy, and, and, and it, what do you do? And I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm a pastor. And whoa, all right. And hey, man, that, that's great that you've got, I- wait for it, ideals. That's great that you've got ideals. And so the whole night he's talking about, hey, man, that's, that, I'm just loving that you dig your ideals. You dig your ideals. And, and in my brain, I'm going, mate, they're not ideals. It's truth. And yet in that context, it, we, we, were, we were getting along really fine. We're having a great night and we're enjoying all the festivities. Now, my question is, you know, what do you, what do you think happened when I turned to him and I said, well, what do you think of my ideals? And, and, and the conversation just shut down. You didn't. Didn't talk to me for most of the rest of the night. And that's the tension we feel as Christians, right? We don't want to push our truth onto, onto everyone else because, you know, this exclusivity, it's the very thing that's going wrong in the world. But the modern day approach to tolerance is we'll all get along if, if, if we just say that nobody has the truth. If we just say that there is no exclusive truths. You know, the, 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 the tolerance in the modern day is this moral absolute that nobody's morals are absolute, it's a moral absolute that says nobody's morals are absolute. And here's why it's a veiled tolerance. Here's what's funny about it. Here's how it's a counterfeit tolerant tolerance. It's because it's actually intolerant. You see, it says unless you subscribe to our relativistic view of the world, then get out. Don't talk to us. You're a danger to society. We can't have those sorts of people around here. It's clever, eh? It's actually a tolerance that is intolerant to who they believe is intolerant people. Are you with me? I've, I've lost you, haven't I? All right. It's a tolerance. It's intolerant to who they feel is intolerant people, holders of the truth. How can you say that your truth is your truth? The modern approach does to those who want to stand upon exclusive, exclusive truth claims. You know what it does? The modern approach, it mwah, it mwahs you. you, know, you you're a threat to... To that framework, you're a threat to that frame of mind. But I will, I'll want you, I'll hug you, as long as we don't get too close. It's counterfeit tolerance, and so Paul calls us beyond that tolerance. And this is what's remarkable about about the Bible. He calls us beyond that, and he says, "Look, that that, that is on uh, that, that 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 is one way of dealing it. But I want you to go to something deeper, and that's what we see in Christian tolerance. Have a look at verse seven here." It says, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. And then you go back to verses like chapter 14, verse 1. Accept the person whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. That's what we read from last week. Accept those whose faith is weak. Paul's saying, accept those who are weak without putting judgment on disputable matters. Now, did you hear that closely? 
Because here's a little trick in this one. Accept the weak person. You know what that is? That's a judgment. Paul's making a judgment call. He says, accept the person who you perceive to be less mature than you in the faith. You've made a judgment call on someone. And then it says, yet don't get caught up in disputable matters. What were the disputable matters? They were things back in chapter 14. What days you observe church on? What foods you eat? You know, what were the disputable matters? In light of the truth that there is a God of the universe who loves you so much that he sends his only son into the world in order to die for you and is screaming at you to be in relationship. You know what the disputable matters were? The small stuff. And how many times do churches stuff it up on the small stuff? Whether you're wearing jeans, whether you look the right way, whether you talk the right way. Uh, Time and time again, we see churches in, in the middle of disputable matters. And so see how this is radically different. From the modern approach to tolerance, because the modern person says, look, I'll, ex- I'll accept one, someone by not passing any judgment at all. I'm, I'm not going to tell you whether you're right or wrong or whether you're better than worse than me. I'll make no judgment on you, but don't get near me. Have your ideals as long as they ideally don't affect me. <laughs> and, and yet the Christian approach goes way beyond that. See the difference here? Step one, Paul says, step one, make a judgment call. Use your God-given discernment by the Holy Spirit to make a call on what someone's saying here as to whether they're really getting the fundamentals or not, that there is a God and that he loves them and that there is no other way to him than through Jesus Christ and that he died for us. But then Paul says in step two that, that when you've made that judgment, and that differs from the modern approach, and they differ from your beliefs, then don't withdraw from that person but then go in. Don't just mwat them and walk off the other way, but go in. Paul says, I want you to enter into relationship with someone that you think is seriously wrong about God and seriously wrong about the world and seriously wrong about the Bible. And, and I want you to enter into relationship with them. And what's he talking about with relationship? Verse 7, accept, accept those as Christ has accepted you. You know, that Greek word is really tricky. But the the word underneath all of that means to draw in. It means to open up your circle. It means the possibility that you may share the half pipe with someone who has four wheels that are in line rather than side by side. (laughs) To to readjust your life to someone who is totally different from you. And and by the way, the better translation of verse 7 is receive one another as Christ received you. You know, look closely, it doesn't say receive one another and accept one another's beliefs. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say you have to accept the belief of every person you do church with. It says accept one another. The world's tolerance says um, accept one another's belief, but don't accept one another. Don't do life with them. Christianity is totally different. The gospel says make a judgment call, then enter into relationship with someone that you think is totally wrong in such a way that you are willing to change your life for them. That is what it means to be strong, to make a judgment call and to bear the burden of the weak. In other words, in church, the strong are obligated. That doesn't work that way in the world because in the world, 
the strong are obligated to no one. Works the other way around. The weak are obligated to the strong. And so here's the thing. What does that look like? What could that look like in our community? A quick four application points. So get your pens out. We're going to go through these and we'll close off tonight. It means first and foremost that you need to make room for those who are different from you. That means for people that think differently about God, that might not have the same beliefs, that look differently. You need to make room for them. But here's the other thing. You need to make room for them by being prepared to change yourself and not them. That's what Paul says in saying accepting those who are weak. I'll give you the classic example. You know, have you ever seen those Christians that, that get alongside people who are just checking out the faith? And they're, they're almost if it's a word, crusadistic, crusadistic about it. There's a crusade. They're like, oh, come in here, you, you poor thing. You know, you're living life in the darkness and I am the light of the world and I am here to enlighten you and to show you and to, and, and to, to hopefully make, make you see the right ways. Have you seen people, Christians like that? How do you find Christians like that? I can't stand Christians like that. You see, if you go in and being like that, you're not going in for them. You're going in for you. You're on your own little mini crusade. You, 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 you're, going, you're going in for yourself. You haven't received them. You haven't moved into a relationship with them. You, you're not making space in your life to hear and to listen and to explore their beliefs. You just want to convert them over to your side. But here's the other thing, that, that the application out of what Paul's saying is that you need to make room by being prepared to be misunderstood. Like my friend at the table at the wedding, <laughs> oh, your ideals. He misunderstood that I, I'm, I don't live my life by ideals. I live my life by the truth. And I was misunderstood. But here's, here's, here's the last one, the great one I, I, I really want us to get. You've got to make room for them by not rushing them. You've got to honor the pace of God in their life. I'm not trying to hurry, hurry them up and say, you're not moving fast enough. You're not growing fast enough. You're not exhibiting fruit fast enough. And haven't we all been guilty from time to time as Christians for treating people like that? God's got his own agenda for every single person in this place. We mustn't ever seek to push people or hurry them up on an agenda that's not ours. So can you see the difference? Modern tolerance says, oh, I'm not going to make any judgments about you, but I'm sure as heck not going to enter into a relationship with you. Whereas Christianity says the very opposite. It says, I, I don't want you to necessarily accept one another's beliefs, says Paul, but I just want you to accept one another. And that's how we begin to build a church that sees the judge and the jailed and the prostitute and the engineer sit side by side in love. That's, that's supernatural. That, you don't see that. But the reality of it, it's, it's difficult, right? If we're real about it, it's difficult. Why is it so hard for us to do that? You, you know, because I, look, when I'm preparing this, I'm thinking, I don't make dis distinctions. But I don't know, have you ever, ever caught yourself reading a magazine article about someone who's really successful and they've failed or they've stuffed up and you find yourself secretly laughing deep down on the inside? I mean, I know some of you out there are, are secretly smiling on the inside over the fact that Mel Doyle got cut from Sunrise. You, know, you, 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 you delight because you're a Carl Stefanovic fan and uh, you know, the, the, the distinction between morning breakfast shows is that intense. But I, I don't know about you, but, but have you ever caught yourself 
reveling that in the gossip of what's happened to that particular... In fact, look at most of our gossip magazines. They live off that sort of stuff. And see, what's amazing in light of this passage tonight is that uh, you know, Paul in one sense said it's important that you make a judgment on people. That's really weird from what the world says. He says it's important you make a judgment call. But the difference between a, a Christian doing it in this context and the person reveling in making judgments or assessments about people that you don't even know, here's the key difference is in, the, in, in this person, you enjoy doing it. You, you secretly love it. Why be... Because your heart wants a sense of power. Your, your heart wants a sense of superiority. And that's the answer to what we've been talking about in terms of why the ungospelized heart makes these distinctions and raises them above everything else. And here's why. <laughs> because the ungospelized heart builds its identity by elevating these distinctions. It, 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 it builds its identity by looking at all the things that you do well and saying, if I do this, then I know I'm, un- I'm, I'm valuable. So in other words, if I am a professional, then I'm valuable. And therefore, you begin to feel superior to unprofessional people. If I'm a moral person, then I feel val- valuable. And then you begin feeling superior to immoral persons. <laughs> if, if I'm a left-winger and a socialist and, and, and a bleeding heart for society, then I'm valuable and all of those right-wing conservative snobs... See the distinction? Because our identity is built on something that is humanly constructed. How do we overcome that tonight, guys? In the very depths of our hearts. You know, do you know what spiritual weakness is? Do you understand what spiritual weakness is and what Paul meant here? Spiritual weakness, what, what was amazing about this passage, and here's a twist, verses 14 to 15. When Paul was, was, was criticizing the spiritually weak, what I realized this week was, he wasn't criticizing the new Christians. He was criticizing the experienced Christians that looked down their noses at those that were weak, that looked down at those that were making the inexperienced ones eat ham sandwiches with them because that's what you needed to do to feel spiritual and accepted by God. And so what's incredible in all of this is that it, it means here that, that to, to be, if, if you're spiritually weak, it means that you haven't understood the doctrine of justification by faith alone. And some of you are already going, there you go, Sam, Christianese. Just felt, you just fell victim to the very thing you've been preaching against for the past two weeks. But here's what I'm getting at is that this is what justification by faith alone means. That every other religion in the world says that you are accepted by what you do. That you were made right with God or the divine up in the heavens by what your efforts are and what you do. Every other religion says it's your efforts that justify you, that make you right. But the gospel, Christianity says it's not your efforts, but it's Christ's efforts. It's not your work, but it's Christ's work. It's not your past, but it's Christ's part. (laughs) It's not your record, but it's Christ's record. You correlate to God by what Jesus has done. And here's what I mean. Every other religion makes you either a, a, a good person or a bad person or a moral person or an immoral person or a godly person or an ungodly person. And the Christianity says, you know what? You're both. Remember, we always say, Martin Luther, you are simul justus et peccator. You are simultaneously righteous sinners. You know, as Tim Keller always says, it means you are, you are, you are more evil than you dared imagine. You are more loved than you dared believe at the same time. 
And here's the amazing thing. This is how it can radically change your heart. You see, I can't make room for someone in this place that I think is wrong until I first realized in my heart that until I met Jesus Christ, I was wrong. That I'm not related to God because Sam's right about life. I'm related to God because Jesus Christ is right about life. And here's the amazing thing. If, if, if that dynamic is at work and alive in us, then we will be a church of Christians who honestly believe that non-believers and the, the weird thinkers and the alternatives and all the people that are so different from us could actually be and are in some cases better people than we are. If we truly get the gospel at the depths of our heart. And that makes us open, it makes us accepting, it makes us attractive as a church. You can go into someone who disagrees with you because as a Christian, you know what? You, you know deep down that person is probably more beautiful than yourself. That's where the dynamic comes from. On one hand, you go in and say, I relate to you no longer because I need the power of negative judgment in my life. In other words, I, n- I no longer need to raise my distinctions above yours in terms of my sense self of self-worth, self of sense. Holy Spirit, get it out. Sense of self-worth. You can say to yourself, I am a kid of the king. I am holy and dearly loved. I am righteous and blameless in his sight. I am a new creation. We stand upon that as Christians. And what that means is when we come into people, there's no need to talk about our professionalism or our political views or our sense of education. We're like that and we stand upon that because we know in verse 7 it says, Accept one another just as Christ has accepted you. I am accepted first, then I obey God. The Christian says, I need not make any more distinctions around differences because when I was different, Jesus Christ made room for me. When I was different, Jesus Christ changed his ways for me. When I was different, Jesus Christ was misunderstood for me. When I was different, Jesus Christ didn't push me into his agenda, but he waited for me. Guys, how do you know that you're a strong Christian versus a weak Christian? Your whole life revolves around the fact that Jesus Christ opened himself up to you when you were wrong and you didn't know the right thing. And therefore, when you get that as a Christian, how, how then should you treat people that you think are wrong? If that's the way that he treated us first, that's what it means when you correlate to others. That's what it means when your relationship with God has correlated and it correlates out into all the others. On the cross, here's the funniest thing. On the cross, and let's think about the details as we finish tonight. Jesus Christ was not about this postmodern, modern approach. Oh yeah, whatever goes. Jesus Christ, God, made a judgment call. He made a very negative judgment call. He said, all of us, humanity, are so hopelessly lost at the moment that I need to die for you. But at the same time, the very same time, he entered in. He changed relationship. He adapted. He shifted. He said, I look at these people and they don't get it yet. But I will be the first to change. If he changed for those that don't know him, 
why wouldn't we, as those of the gospelized heart in this church, change for others? Friends, tonight, uh, those of us that call us the strong, call each other Christians, we need to go do some homework. We need to, we need to see if our life revolves around that dynamic. If you're, not, if you're a non-Christian, I don't know, if you're just checking out, as we do each and every week in this place, people who just want to find out more about what it is to follow Jesus Christ, welcome. Welcome to a place where I know that, and I trust that there won't be condemnation. Where I know and I trust that you can come with all sorts of different beliefs and we would love to wrestle with that and maybe even change our lives for you. Because we're accepted and we accept you just as Jesus Christ accepted us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the model of your son. We pray that this place in your time and your season might be the very church and with those of radical differences might sit side by side in the pews as we hear your word. Father, through your Holy Spirit, reveal our hearts where it is that we need to make room in this place. And Father, in all honesty too, I praise you and I thank you. There are so many different places around this city and from the different ways that I've heard people and the, the dynamic that they've had through conversations of people in the foyer or in a home group that, Father, we are a church that is already beginning to live out this diversity and this wonder in the differences that we do have. But Father, there's always room for us to grow. There's always times in which um, we're not going to get it right and we're going to stuff it up. And we're going to be caught up in the small things, the disputable things. We just pray that you're going to mold us and shape us through your spirit and, and show, show us where it is that we really need to press into you in that regard. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. And friends, we come to a time of communion. If you're a follower of Jesus, as you come to the table tonight, you're going to recognize that and you're going to realize through the Holy Spirit that, uh, that the God of the universe changed his life and his way of doing things in order to accommodate you it should be the fuel rod for each and every one of us in this place that there are people that let's be real it takes effort to be a part of their lives but nothing compared to the effort that it took jesus christ to span the universe and move into relationship with us so may that fuel us tonight as i always say may may that be the the nuclear fuel rod tonight that is going to empower us in the weeks ahead as we seek to minister to those that we perceive as just slightly weaker than us, still trying to get it. If you are one of those people that's trying to get it tonight, if you are one of those people that's been hanging out for the past couple of weeks, if you're a big brother intruder, <laughs> um, welcome. But like I said last week, we, we want you to get that Jesus Christ gave his place up in the house so you could have one here tonight. He says, my father's house has many rooms. I've gone there to prepare one for you. If, if you can't rest in the certainty that there is a place waiting for you in his house tonight, please don't leave this place without at least asking who Jesus is and what he's about. That this Jesus guy could create a church down south in Wollongong that could be so radically different from something we've ever heard of before. There's got to be something in that. Don't miss the opportunity to come ask about him, maybe even receive him into your life tonight through faith. We'd love to do that. Team's going to be up the back. Elders are going to be up the back. We'd love to pray for you. So come now, eat, drink, take communion as we move into this time of ministry.